Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Randy, hey man, it's Luke. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Hey, you know the CDC has been telling people to like wash your hands for twenty seconds through this whole COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh huh. And I've been seeing all these posts about songs that you can sing while you wash your hands, so that it'll last twenty seconds. You can pass that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just didn't know if you knew one of the songs, the chorus for which is "Right at twenty seconds," is "Take on Me" by Aha. Okay. You know, you don't act like you care, but. When we were in a band together, we used to cover that song, and you would always sing the lead vocal. So I thought maybe you'd want to, you know, sing it. Yeah. You want me to go to a sink and actually wash my hands? Could you do that? <laughs> here, let's see, what, let's see what I can find in here. Did your phone cable reach that far? <laughs> it's one of those twisty ones. Nice. So, all right. All right. The water? I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Take on me, That's perfect. Thanks, man. I'm oh, amazed good. that no you work. can still hit all of those notes. Well, I've been warming up all morning, just anticipating in case anybody needs me to send some aha. I'm just also amazed that you were willing to do that, knowing that I'm going to put this out on the internet. But I appreciate it very much. Wait, this is for what? From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 15. A problematic comedic launchpad. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, April 14th, 1990. Hello fellow fans of retro pop culture nostalgia and welcome to another episode of 30 Pop. I am, as always, excited to be here and so thankful for your listening ears as we look back on all the greatness that was this week in 1990. We'll start this week by wishing the happiest of 30th birthdays to the one and only Bella Swan herself, Kristen Stewart, who was born on April 9th, 1990, just 12 years before she got her big break, starring opposite acting legend Jodie Foster in the film Panic Room, in which she played a 12-year-old version of that character she plays in all her movies. Happy birthday, K-Stew. In sports news this week in 1990, golfer Nick Faldo took home his second straight win at the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, which always happens in early April, barring any global pandemics. He won just under a quarter of a million dollars, less than a tenth of what the winner of the 2020 Masters would have won this week had it not been postponed till mid-November by COVID-19. In music news this week, there were a couple major album releases on April 10th, 1990. The first being the debut record from Afrocentric jazz-infused hip-hop group A Tribe Called Quest, entitled People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm. While they weren't exactly a pop sensation, A Tribe Called Quest was wildly influential in the sound of 90s alternative hip-hop. 
this even being proclaimed by some to be the single most important album of the genre. In a commemorative article for hip-hop magazine XXL, Michael Blair said the album was, quote, immensely groundbreaking and will eternally maintain its relevance within the culture and construction of hip-hop. The source, another hip-hop magazine, gave the album a perfect five-mic rating when it released, the first perfect rating they'd ever rewarded, which to date has still only had 45 recipients. The other major release on April 10th, 1990 was the third album by the heavily political, media-critical, and always controversial New York rap group Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet. It'd be hard to overstate the significance this album has had on both hip-hop music and American culture over the last 30 years. Stephen Thomas Erlewine of the online music database AllMusic.com described the album saying that, as a piece of music, this is the best hip-hop has ever had to offer, and called it a remarkable piece of modern art, a record that ushered in the 90s in a hail of multiculturalism and kaleidoscopic confusion. It remains to this day on multiple best or most important albums ever lists. The album went platinum within a couple months of its release off the success of its singles, 911 is a Joke and Fight the Power, which had featured prominently in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing the summer before, and to date has sold over 2 million copies. In other music news, there wasn't a ton of movement this week in 1990 on the Billboard charts, but there was some. Bonnie Raitt still had the number one album with Nick of Time, Troop still had the top R&B and hip-hop song with Spread My Wings, and Digital Underground was enjoying their final week at the top of the hot rap chart with the Humpty Dance. New number one songs this week included Lori Morgan's Five Minutes on the Hot Country Chart and Tommy Page's I'll Be Your Everything, co-written by Jordan Knight and Danny Wood from New Kids on the Block on the Hot 100 chart. The big news looking back on this week in 1990, though, at least in my humble opinion, was in TV where we saw the debut of two new series, one which I loved and the other which was unwatchably weird to my 10-year-old eyes, although I bet my 40-year-old eyes would love it. That show, the David Lynch mystery horror drama series Twin Peaks, which survived only a couple seasons before being canceled, then becoming a cult classic and subsequently spawning a brief revival in 2017 on Showtime. The other show, the one I loved, was the Keenan Ivory Way and Sketch Comedy series, which became a cultural phenomenon, launching the careers of some now massive A-list actors in living color. I hopped on a call this week with my dear friend, near neighbor, and regular 30 Pop guest, Nate Williams, to reminisce. Nate, welcome back to 30 Pop. So good to have you on. Uh, dude, thank you, Luke. I'm really excited about today. Yeah, man. So I told you before we hopped on the call that 30 years ago this week was the debut of In Living Color. <laughs> and I just, when I was trying to think of like, who could I talk to about the show? I knew, I know you're a huge Jim Carrey fan and that's kind of where he really broke out. But I kind of had a feeling that you were probably also a fan of In Living Color. Were you? Huge fan. And this is where I found out about Jim Carrey, but my favorites were Tommy Davidson and 10-year-old me thought David Allen Greer was like the funniest dude that ever existed. That's one of the things I was actually going to talk about. I legitimately think they're two of the most underrated comedians from this show. I mean, they were both so funny. David Allen Greer, especially, what he could do with just his facial expressions was amazing. Right, which also like I thought about this and I just absolutely adore 30 Pop in general. But things like this where two 40-year-old white guys can talk about the impact in living color had on 10-year-old suburban us when it's definitely not the target audience. Like, I think about how much I love the show and how much that, like, I probably didn't understand 
70% of it. So it's like, to me, maybe that's why David Allen Greer, Jim Carrey, Tommy Davidson, because like you said, what they would do with their face, just funny faces and accents, yeah. you know, that translates anywhere. Yeah, it's true. It is ironic for the two of us, but it still holds up, man. Like I've been, I mean, it's, I say it still holds up. It's super problematic, but kind of in all the say, right ways. Yeah, I would actually think a lot of it would be pretty poor. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I mean is the comedy holds up. So it's still really, really funny. It's super homophobic and it's, it's a problematic yeah, I would, show I would to be sure. I specifically about, was it gays on Hollywood? Men on film. Men on film. So I made it even worse. Yes. <laughs> Men on film, they did men on art, they did, which was one of like really one of my favorite. It was David Allen Greer and Damon Wayans. And oh, gosh. They basically would just go through, you know, so like men in film, they're looking at all the current movies that are out, but they would only like the ones that prominently featured men. And if there were any like women leads, you know, they hated it. They, that was always the kind of the bit. <laughs> Loved that. Loved the uh, like the Homeboy Shopping Network, which was Damon and Keenan Ivory Wayans, you know, basically mm-hmm. like selling stolen goods on public access television. Well, and the, the Wayans brothers, that's another one that like, I'm sure they were actually already pretty big at the time, especially to get their show like this. But like, to me, this is their genesis, their jumping off point. And oh, the Wayans sure. brothers have just been they were so prominent for like, you know, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, so Keenan Ivory Wayans had done, I'm going to get you sucker in 1988. Yeah. I didn't watch that until probably early high school, but I definitely watched that. Yeah. So this really was kind of their breakout thing. I mean, certainly for Damon, who to this day is hilarious to me. I just think the guy is so, so yeah. funny. His Anton Jackson. Do you remember his character, Anton Jackson? the drunk homeless guy who would like perform yes. in the subway and stuff. Well, and I, again, thinking about my 10 year old comedic ideals, I believe it was handyman. Oh yeah. Talk about problematic. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being in fourth grade and talking about this specifically like in class. I even have memories of like talking to my buddy, James Flaherty at the time. And we would talk about handyman and obviously like fire marshal bill, yeah. and, you know, recreating you know, those sketches at school. Yeah. I remember a lot of homie to clown, which was oh, like a homie whole, don't play that. yeah. Like he whacking kids over the head with a sock and stuff. And I mean, yes. that was something we did all the time at school. Mm-hmm. So, so funny, but you couldn't do that today. Not in the same way for sure. You couldn't do about probably 60% of their sketches today. Yeah, it's true. I mean, not without really upsetting some people. Okay. So, but you yeah. are the biggest Jim Carrey fan in my life, at least. And so what are some of your favorite Jim Carrey sketches from this show? Well, I said Fire Marshal Bill was the best. Yeah. When I think in Living Color, even though as much as I said I like David Allen Greer and Tommy Davidson so much, Fire Marshal Bill was the favorite, or at least yeah. favorite sketches. And there was when he would work out in like a, a unitard yeah. and he had his hair up like he was a very... Was he steroided up woman? He was Vera DeMilo, yes. He was a steroid-abusing bodybuilder with, like, a bikini on all the time and this, like, horse laugh. And, I mean, that's where you get actually a whole lot of Jim Carrey's, like, bits, especially his Ace Ventura bits and stuff, like, the different impressions and stuff that he would do that became sort of canon Jim Carrey stuff. Yeah, was originated on... In living color. Well, he was like, it's like he was plastic man. Not only his face, because man, the facial expressions, what he could do and contort were just incredible. Right. But like the way he would swing his arms, I can still picture like him swinging his arms over his head and just being 
looking at his shoulders like, how's he doing that? Yeah. So he gets tons and tons of attention from the show. Jamie Foxx got tons of attention from the show. But some other underrated folks, I mean, it's hard to call him underrated since he created the show, but Keenan Ivory Wayans, I've been rewatching a bunch of, you know, like first season episodes that are all on YouTube. Yeah. And Keenan Ivory Wayans is actually way funnier than I remember. And I thought he was funny at the time, but he, I always just saw him more as like a Lorne Michaels, you know, just sort of emceeing the show. But looking back, like some of his, you know, he did like Arsenio Hall. He did Mike Tyson. He did some like really, really funny characters on that show. Well, I wonder if his stuff was probably, like I said, the type of jokes that just fly right past the 10 year old's head. You know, that with our adult understanding subtle humor. Yeah. And appreciating and, and also not fully understanding who the people he was impersonating were. Yeah. Or the realities that they were sort of calling out. I mean, like, that's why, you know, we talk about it being the show wasn't geared for two suburban white kids, but like it's because we didn't realize that the things they were joking about were real, you know? Yeah. That that was actually part of their lives. Yeah. So I was reading on Wikipedia, like part of the reason why this show was so controversial is because for the first time, these people were doing black comedy from an impoverished perspective, not like the Cosby show or these other shows that sort of, I mean, there were other comedies that certainly, looked at blackness, the black American experience from an impoverished perspective, but not like they were doing. They were doing, I mean, things like Homeboy Shopping Network. Like yeah. they were just talking about poverty and injustice and it, from this really almost raunchy, but funny perspective. And that just hadn't Yeah, been they were leaning before. into it. It wasn't about pity. It was about this is our lives and this is funny. Yeah, it was so good, man. <laughs> I do remember loving, and this is probably equally problematic. I haven't seen it in years. Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Do you remember that movie? I was wondering if you were going to get the full title out. I'm very good. I mean, one, I was a fan of the movies that they're mocking in that, but I do remember just loving that ridiculous work of art as well. And and that's such a perfect example because I remember watching and loving that movie too, but never having seen boys in the hood and you know the movies that they're making fun of it's like i didn't know about those or what they were like so again to me it's just marlon waynes doing some funny hairstyle and a funny voice and young me was super into it oh man it's funny because i was into like i loved menace to society and boys in the hood and all those and so to watch them just riff on it was so much fun, even though same thing. Like I didn't know to understand when I was watching that, that this was, you know, commentary on the reality of a part of America that I had not experienced really personally. Right. So yeah. How, just how close were our like intellectual borders in suburban Fort Worth and Houston? Yeah, very, very close. <laughs> yeah. 30 years ago, at least, you know, now technology, internet, all that, you can get at least something, but nah, this is just me and my, my other white friends were the only people I knew. All right. Well, any closing thoughts on in living color before we wrap it up? I guarantee you I'm about to eat lunch and I guarantee you I am pulling them up on YouTube and I'm going to be watching it right now. Yeah, man. Enjoy it. Thanks so much as always for being on the show. Look forward to having you back soon. All right, dude. Thanks, bud. I appreciate it. That was awesome. Huge thanks to Nate for taking a few minutes out of his busy quarantine schedule of playing video games and drinking Dr. Pepper by the gallon to look back at this show. It's always a joy. And as always, huge thanks to you for listening as well. Finally, my most sincere thanks to the folks who partner with me in making this show over on Patreon. 
This and every show I produce as a part of Milieu Media Group is made possible largely by folks like Candace and Mark Robinson, Becky Roberts, and Brandon Green, who contribute each month to the work we're doing of using storytelling to connect people to one another and hopefully make the world a better place. I'm especially grateful during this season of social isolation, as a fair portion of the company's monthly revenue is tied to the various live events I host, none of which can happen right now. If you're interested in partnering with me and with Milieu Media Group for as little as a dollar a month, please visit the Patreon link in the show notes. Thanks so much, friends. Until next week, remember, wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Milieu Media Group, visit milumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>